0: Hi, I'm your host, Talia Baroncelli, and you're watching TheAnalysis.News. Joining me today is Nadine Khouri, who will be speaking about the effort of Arab countries in the Middle East to bring about a ceasefire. Please don't forget that we rely on your support to make this content. So if you'd like to donate to the show, you can do so by going to TheAnalysis.News. And also don't forget to get on our mailing list. That way you're always updated every time there's a new episode. Help us beat the algorithm by liking and subscribing to our YouTube channel, and like and subscribe to the show wherever else you listen to it, whether it be on Spotify or Apple. See you in a bit with Nadim Houri. Mm-hmm. Joining me now is Nadim Puri. He is the executive director of the Arab Reform Initiative in Paris, and has also worked as a human rights lawyer for Human Rights Watch for over 13 years. Thank you so much for joining me again, Nadim.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: The humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza is getting progressively worse. The death toll is now over 10,000 innocent Palestinian civilians, of whom over 4,000 are children. And in response to Israel's continued bombardment and siege of the Gaza Strip, we've seen several countries recall their ambassadors to Israel. Bahrain, Turkey, and Jordan recalled their ambassadors to Israel, and several countries in South America, such as Chile, uh, Colombia, and Honduras, have done the same. I believe Bolivia went a step further and completely cut diplomatic ties to Israel. So, how would you characterize the efforts on the part of Arab countries in the Middle East to bring about a ceasefire? So, we've seen
1: uh, different initiatives. From different Arab states, Uh, but these initiatives have remained, I would say, quite shy. So I think there's a high uh, level of rhetorical condemnation from the official states. Uh, There's a high level of anger uh, in the different capitals and streets. But in practice, what a lot of the uh, efforts have been trying to convince the US to put pressure on Israel to stop, uh, frankly, the uh, insane retaliation and attacks that we are uh, seeing on the ground. Um, you know, one interesting role has been the one played by Qatar, uh, which has uh, become sort of the central mediator on the issue of hostages um, and uh, trying to link the issue of hostages to a ceasefire, and we've seen both the U.S., Israeli, and Palestinian leadership, because Qatar actually has some Hamas leaders there trying to figure out a way to uh, to negotiate this. Um, another foreign rule, and again, it's not just a common position because each country has different priorities. We've really seen uh, Egypt very worried about what's happening in Gaza, Maybe we'll talk about it as well because Egypt is very concerned that part of the Israeli plan is to, again, um, uh, forced, relocate, and, and in some ways commit sort of an ethnic cleansing of pushing all the Palestinians into, uh, into Sinai, into Egypt, which is something that is a red line, not just for Egypt, for the Palestinians, but also for the Arab states, and uh, particularly amidst, uh, amidst some of the more, you know, um, in the right-wing government of Israel, but also we're hearing kind of messianic voices from, from some people who are actually ministers in the government.
0: Right. And you're alluding to a leaked report by the Israeli Ministry of Intelligence, which is a sort of think tank body within the Israeli military. And it was suggesting that Israel should forcibly displace Palestinians into the Sinai Peninsula, which would, of course, be in contravention of international norms. Most notably, a few days ago, Prime Minister Vibi Netanyahu was on ABC News, and he did say that Israel should take control of its own security as well as the security of Gaza and potentially occupy Gaza for an indefinite period. Now, up until that point, Secretary of State Antony Blinken had not really drawn any red lines for Israel, but perhaps in response to the prospect of indefinite occupation of Gaza, he did lay out some conditions for a durable peace. He did say that there should be no forcible displacement of the Palestinians, that the territory of Gaza should not be reduced, and that neither Israel nor Hamas should have a presence in Gaza after Um, the war would come to an end whenever that would be. So, I mean, it remains to be seen as to whether there will be any policy backing this up or if these are just, you know, meaningless words by Blinken. Do you see this response as being far too little, too late? Is Blinken just, you know, too late to the show?
1: No, no. Are these words late? Definitely. Uh, Now, I'm not sure what too late means because they're, they're, you know, The fighting is still ongoing and there's a real question mark about uh, what is the Israeli game plan beyond uh, bombarding and doing military incursions. I think the US has been worried about it since the beginning, but unfortunately, and this is where I think they are too late, uh, they sort of went along uh, with the Israeli plan of attacking. Without actually having yet gain, and as the death toll uh, quickly increased in dramatic fashion, and as it became clear that there is actually no uh, clear plan in Israel about what they're trying to do beyond simply, you know, bombarding and trying to attack Hamas, and I think the US has started to roll back and. Uh, I would say, indicate what are its own uh, views on the issue. Um, It's good that they've articulated this because I think they've realized as well, given the opposition of many of its allies in the region, chief of them Egypt, but also realizing that uh, this will just uh, not pass. Now, whether this becomes a red line, whether they will exert enough pressure on Israel and again, here the U.S. is not just some sort of bystander. Uh, bystander, they're actually providing weapons, intel, financial support uh, to Israel. So it's in a way that's on them as well. There's a responsibility. Um, so you know, if they can uh, try to shape uh, where this is going, uh, they'll be positive. On the other hand, what we're still seeing. Uh, and that was clearly lacking, and that's immediately needed is actually a ceasefire. Because what is the US saying? the US saying is, you know, down the line, you know, uh, we're not, uh, we're not, we don't want to see another Israeli occupation of Gaza. We don't want to see a forcible displacement of Palestinians. But at the same time, they're also saying, we don't foresee any uh, real ceasefire for now, right? So in a way, they're giving mixed messages. They're still telling the Israelis, Go and bombard more but you should know uh you cannot reoccupy but what if what if the outcome ends up being just a complete you know total destruction of gaza and the footage from northern gaza right now is very telling and then what you know what 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 does that solution look like so it was good to to hear blinken say that um but clearly insufficient and what is needed uh is an immediate ceasefire to actually provide the space to uh start thinking uh, about next steps but also frankly just to stop uh the killing to stop the displacement because with each passing day, uh my concern is it becomes even harder to think about medium, let alone long terms
0: right and many people are also saying that the u.s is culpable in this conflict, in this slaughter of the Palestinians, because, you know, they're giving even more money, as you mentioned, and more arms, and they're approving 14 billion U.S. dollars to give to Israel with no conditions tied to the use of that money. And and so in a way, they're, you know, they're wholly responsible as well for per, uh, perpetrating this um, ethnic cleansing and slaughter of the Palestinians. But why don't we move to the role of normalization in the region. Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates signed the Abraham Accords with Israel, and you know, thinking back to the 80s, for example, Egypt still had uh, diplomatic ties with Israel when um, the the massacres of um, refugees in the Sabra and Shatila camps uh, were taking place under Israeli watch, basically. Um, so, would you say something similar might happen in the Middle East with? you know, ongoing normalization while there is no ceasefire? Or do you think that um, the the already agreed to normalization might be put into question?
1: No, I think we're clearly seeing uh, at a minimum a pause button for the normalization process. And if we just take a step back, what we saw in the last few years was in a way, and this was something that Israel very much pushed for with the U.S., particularly with the Trump administration, I would say uh, uh, creating a disconnect between uh, normalization between Arab states and Israel and uh, the Palestine question, the rights of Palestinians, um, and the clearest manifestation was the Abraham Accords, which, as you mentioned, UAE and Bahrain signed, but also uh, Morocco and Sudan. And lately, there were a lot of bilateral negotiations facilitated by the U.S. for a potential Saudi normal. And what uh, these deals were premised on was somehow a, you know, you make peace with Israel as an Arab state and just the Palestinian issue is sidelined uh, or is left to some sort of nice sounding words that the, uh, you know, standards of living of Palestinians should, should get better, but really nothing about Palestinian rights, the right to self-determination, the right to move, uh, and even the right to Palestinian refugees. Um, in a way, uh, what happened in Gaza now more than a month ago uh, blew this strategy apart, literally. Uh, because one, it has exposed many of these Arab normalizing states to internal anger, and they realized they could not continue with that uh, popularly. Uh, and two, it has also shown the limits of this, even for Israel, because Israel's strategy was to say, look, we don't need a comprehensive deal with the Palestinians. We don't need it for our security. We don't need it for our economy. We don't need it for our acceptability in the region. We'll just sign deals with the Arabs, other Arab states. And uh, in a way, that approach and that strategy uh, was not only short-sighted, it was frankly you know, ineffective, in addition to trampling on the basic rights of Palestinians. What will happen the day after remains to be seen. You know, I think Bahrain withdrawing its ambassador um, is also tied to the fact that Bahrain of all the different normalizing states, you know, has had a majority of its population that was unhappy about the normalization. deal. Um, so it's a way for the um, regime in Bahrain to create some buffer vis-a-vis its opinion. Uh, we haven't heard much from the Emiratis, uh, the Emiratis are, can better control, I would say, what gets expressed in terms of public opinion there. Uh, and also what's clear is that the Saudis are very uh, pissed off, and any process of normalization with the Saudis uh, is, is probably now on hold until uh, there's more clarity on what comes next. So, uh, you know, is is that normalization with the Arab states today uh, reversible? You know, um I think it's it's hard to tell. The feeling I'm getting right now from these states is that it's a pause. Pause. Um, what would be interesting is whether, as part of the uh, what comes next, is a move away from this bilateral approach, where each country signs a separate deal with the Israelis, often sweetened with the U.S. You know, so Morocco uh benefited because the u.s then turned a blind eye to what happens in western sahara you know uh, bahrain gets different benefits uh, saudi would would have gotten some sort of um, defense pact with the u.s um whether what we're seeing in gaza now leads the arab states to move away from this bilateral approach to go back to something a bit more Uh, regional, similar to the uh, Arab Peace Plan, which the Arab state had proposed in 2002, which was a full normalization with Israel, but as a package deal. Sort of like resolving, you know, getting to two-state solutions, so a state for Palestine, Israel withdrawing from occupied lands. At the time, it included Lebanon, but also the Golan Heights. Uh, In return for that, Israel would benefit from a full normalization. Not just with a handful, but actually with all the Arab states. This was adopted by the Arab League at the time. So, when we see a sort of return to a more uh, regional approach by the countries, that remains to be seen. This is something I, I actually uh, would call for. I think it's a lot, uh, you know, to even think about, uh, not just, you know, clearly for the rights of the Palestinians, a package deal that actually re centers Palestine and Palestinian rights. But also, that way, uh, this would be a real uh, resolution of the conflict with, with, all its, uh, with all its issues. And I think this is what the region needs today. Not these sort of piecemeal deals while the settlements uh, continue and the occupied occupation continues.
0: Well, what would this kind of package mean for Palestinian leadership? Because we did see Blinken say that in the sort of day after, whenever that actually happens, that neither the Israelis nor Hamas um, should remain in Gaza or have any role in the governance of it. So would it be the Palestinian Authority? I mean, Abu Mazen, um, he's, you know, he's very old. And I think a lot of Palestinians view him as a corrupt figure with not a lot of legitimacy. So who do you see taking the mantle from there?
1: No, I think this is part of the uh, issue right now is the lack of legitimacy of the Palestinian Authority, um, and how did we get there? I mean, this was the reason why today the Palestinian Authority is looked at by most Palestinians as simply uh, and, uh, you know collaborators or implementing arm of the Israelis uh, of the occupation uh, is because the the Israeli successive governments have done everything to undermine. The capacity of the PA uh, to administer, let alone to govern, uh, Palestinian uh, Palestinians in the West Bank, uh, or obviously on Gaza, they were pushed out. So, you know, clearly, and I think this is something that um, this is the challenge today: is you have a government in Israel. That is not only uh, far right wing, but that has adopted as key elements of its government and its platform really messianic biblical references to, to base their claim. You know, I mean, get right up to the to national law. Uh, you know, they're basically saying the Bible gave us this, and you're hearing biblical references left, right, and center, not just by some key ministers, by Netanyahu himself. And interestingly, the West is not reacting to. But so that you on on the other hand, as you were mentioning, part of the challenge is that on the Palestinian side today is uh, the PA is no longer seen as legitimate by very large swath of the Palestinian uh, population. Um, So in a way, that also weakens. So what you need to do is to think of a process. That will recreate a form of legitimacy in Palestinian leadership. And that would do so in a relatively uh quick time. You know, and so how can you do it? You know, and and, and what particularly uh, is it realistic to think that Hamas is just going to disappear? You know, I mean, uh, if we think of it, maybe maybe Israel manages to defeat Hamas militarily. Uh, but we know that uh, Hamas has supporters, it has administrators, it has, you know, as some, you know, people say, you know, Hamas is an idea at some level. So are you just going to be able to say, no, you're not part of any any deal in the future? Uh, And if so, what would be their advantage to have that deal stand and not act as spoilers? So this is going to be really, really challenging. It will require a lot of creative diplomacy. Uh, and it would require, uh, frankly, a yeah. not just a sort of conflict resolution, but a conflict transformation um, approach. You know, where I think everyone is realizing we're at a dead end here. Yeah. It's an impasse. Israel is at an impasse with its approach to uh, Palestine and Palestinian rights. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the West as well, because they've gone along with this. Folly of thinking you can keep repeating the mantra of two-state solution while you change facts on the ground day in and day out. That has a hit an impasse. Now, how do you get out of that impasse? That's the hard part. You know, that's the hard part that would require, uh, uh, in my view, nothing short of complete conflict transformation. Um, and almost, uh, you need a positive shock. You know, something dramatic to happen to change the equation of the different key actors because otherwise at best what you're doing is conflict mitigation, right? So you, 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 pacify things by using a lot of violence, by the way, not just during armed conflict, but even afterwards you pacify until the next explosion. And I really hope, I Palestinians have suffered too much, you know, the conflict has simmered for too long, and there needs to be a much, uh, a much more. I almost want to call it like a radical approach to, to peacemaking to transform the conflict, to rethink of it. You know, this could be end up with a two state solution, or it could be maybe with a one state solution with equal rights. Uh, but at the heart of it, has to be listening to also what the Palestinians have to say, and not think you can just tell them, oh, this is an acceptable interlocutor. This is what your government should look like. This is who we think is a legitimate representative of the Palestinians. These approaches have shown uh, their limits, and frankly, they have failed, and they have failed.
0: Just quickly before you have to go, how would you say the international institutions um, would contribute to this radical solution or getting out of this impasse? The U.S. and Israel do not recognize the jurisdiction of the ICC. So what do you think the role of the ICC could be in this?
1: Look, I mean, the ICC was given a role a few years ago because Palestine basically uh, gave it jurisdiction to look at the crimes. And unfortunately, the ICC has been procrastinating, literally procrastinating now for years. Oh, we're trying to investigate. Oh, we can't, only because of political pressure on it not to to investigate. So um, does the ICC have a role? Definitely. Uh, Did the Palestinians already give it authority? Definitely. Uh, Should justice be an essential element of any peace deal? Definitely. So let the ICC do its job and investigate and hold accountable uh, all those who've committed international crimes, regardless of the side they follow. So I think that's very important. Now, But there's another element to your question, which is what about internationalists? I mean, this sort of situation usually is the sort of priority that the Security Council would be focused on, right? I mean, this is affecting, uh, obviously, the security of uh, Palestinians and Israelis, but this is also about the region and, frankly, even the world. But we've seen, and this is not new, that Security Council is completely paralyzed uh, and is unable to move. Uh, And here, again, specifically, the U.S. using its veto. But even they can't keep because of the uh, divisions between on the one hand the u s and Russia and China which predate uh, this now immediate conflict, it's impossible to look at the Security Council as a door to promote these uh, any sort of solution we've seen the general Assembly step up uh, you know with a vote that is actually very strong um, pushing for a ceasefire uh, pushing for humanitarian aid pushing for some sort of resolution, but that's not binding. So where does that leave us? I think, you know, for me, there's a real moment today to think creatively about uh, possibly more active regional diplomacy. Fortunately, the Arab states are not yet playing that role. But I think this is, you know, as part of this kind of conflict transformation, my view is there may not be uh, satisfactory answers if we keep using the same variables we've been dealing with for the last few years. Maybe we need to look at this from a regional lens and to go back to a sort of a regional package. And that would come with regional security assurances uh, for Palestinians, for Israelis, and uh, something you know where the different players would be involved. And I would say, but this would probably require not just the Arab League, but also Iran, which has emerged a key regional player on this conflict. So can we think of something like that. that seems, you know, even people who are listening to us say, okay, this is so naive, this is so far-fetched. Um, it may be far-fetched, but I wouldn't say it's naive because we've tried a lot of other things. And it's those who keep pushing for a two-state solution while Israel continues its uh, settlement expansion Uh, in the West Bank and continue to punish and have Gaza as an open air prison, that is to me the naive thinking of saying, yes, this this can continue managing the conflict like this forever and ever.
0: Nadim Hori, Executive Director of the Arab Reform Initiative, it was really great to get your views and insights on what's transpiring in the Middle East right now.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you for watching theanalysis.news. If you'd like to contribute to the show, you can do so by going to our website, theanalysis.news, and hitting the donate button at the top right corner of the screen. We appreciate all the help you give us. See you next time.